Hello, and welcome to the Anchor Podcast, a ministry of Rock Harbor Church. We want to help guide and grow you in your walk with the Lord by providing an in-depth study of God's Word. So please grab your Bibles and let's set a course for spiritual maturity. Here's Pastor Brandon with this week's message. We're going to switch now gears. We're done with Daniel. We're going to move to Abraham now. We're going to continue on our study in Genesis, and we're going to look at the life of Abraham. And uh, what you're going to see about Abraham is he's going to get a call, obviously, to be the father of many nations. You know that. But the call comes in the midst of the chaos that's surrounding uh, what's going on around Abraham's life. And uh, that's what I want to hone in on is you and I are also called in this, these last days, in this chaos that you're you know, in the midst of, to follow the call of God on your particular life. And we're going to talk about that uh, in referencing to Abraham because all these people that you see running around like a chicken with their head cut off and don't know what to do with their lives is because they do not have any meaning in life. Our young kids don't have any meaning in life. They, they don't know if they're coming and going. Uh, the schools teach them. They're, they're coming from, you know, the primordial soup. There's no value in them. And, and so we have all of this suicidal uh, depression, anxiety, stress, and basically nihilism going on in our, our younger populations. That's why so many of them are depressed. And they don't have any meaning. And uh, what you have to realize is God is the only one that can give people meaning in life. Okay? That's it. That's where you find meaning in life is in God and what he calls you to do. And uh, we're going to explore that. And I'm going to take my time because here's the thing. The initial call of Abraham, we have to camp out on a little bit. You have to understand where it's coming from, uh, obviously God, but you have to understand the background. You have to understand the situation that's going on in Abraham's life in order to understand how pivotal this was to get Abraham to leave Ur of the Chaldees to start a new nation. And so um, it's going to resonate with us as we're going through this chaotic time because what happened is, here's what you got to think about. The call of God will give you order in the midst of chaos. It'll give you value in the midst of the destruction. And that's where meaning comes from is order and value. And so you're going to see this with, with Abraham. Here's what people do with their lives, trying to search for the meaning of life. They search for happiness. The problem is, if you search for happiness, you're never going to find it. You know, it's interesting in our declaration, it says that um, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. But people don't know how to interpret that last phrase, the pursuit of happiness. Um, where we got the idea, our founders got the idea, is from Francis Hutchinson. And he was an Irish philosopher. Um, and anyway, when they, our founders put in the pursuit of happiness, it was not a hedonistic, you know, pleasure-seeking happiness. Here's how they defined happiness, or how Francis, and this is why the founders put this in there. It's an individual excellence, like an individual moral excellence in the person that shapes the life of a, the broader community. So the idea was the pursuit of happiness is if the individual American will pursue morality and be the most excellent citizen they could possibly be, 
then it would help other people. So it was that to serve others, being moral to serve others, is where we get the concept of uh, the pursuit of happiness. I guarantee you, that's not being taught in our public schools, that you need to be morally excellent for other people to make a better society. Wow. Searching for a stress-free environment. Sorry, it doesn't happen. We're going to carry stress until the rapture, and it's just, it's just part of life. You never escape that. But people trying to escape that think they can find meaning. Well, if you try to escape stress-free environment, that means you're escaping responsibility or searching for right relationship. If I just was married to this person or if I just could find a spouse or whatever, uh, no, it's going to fail you. The right relationship is Jesus, right? That's the right one, not human relationships per se. Searching for an environment that is responsibility-free. That's what our kids are looking for. That's what they've been taught, that, that they're entitled, we'll just give you everything, and you're some wonder kind. And yes, I understand, we're not going to work you more than four hours at Starbucks because that's just too much on you, right? <laughs> that's how they, their mindset is. And, and so um, the idea of, of that is, is foreign to you and I and foreign to the Bible, but it's not, it's not foreign to our, 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 our culture. Here's what you have to understand, and I'm going to make reference as I go through. Finding meaning in life by God's call actually brings you more responsibility. Responsibility gives you meaning. If you have no responsibilities, what's the point? This is why so many people, they, when they retire, they, they think they're going to retire into no responsibility, and they actually do it, and then they die very soon because they have no meaning in life anymore. What's my responsibility? What's my value? And that's all lost when they retire, and they die. The stats on dying the year after you retire is pretty high. Or searching for comfort in this life, or security, human security, not the security found in Jesus, not the comfort found in Jesus, but human comfort, human security, or searching for enough positive rights derived for humans to feel safe. You know what positive rights are. They're different than inalienable rights, right, that come from God. Positive rights come from governments that give special groups certain rights. Like, for instance, the transgender group in America has a special right in the fact that you can't talk about them. You can't talk about their deviant lifestyle. You can't say that's unbiblical. You can't say that's ungodly. So they have a special right that's been given to them from the government. So what people pursue in their groups is more special rights and thinking that if they get all these rights, then they'll be in heaven. Then they'll have meaning in life. And actually, it's not. And the problem is, in our school systems, they teach our kids about positive rights about being in certain groups rather than responsibility they're never taught responsibility they're only taught about what's well, your right your right as a transgender student it's your right as a transitioning student it's your right as a gay student it's your whatever whatever you know critical race there all that stuff it's your right that's all they teach in our schools when you teach a culture rights without responsibility you get an entitlement culture. Absolutely. That's what happens, and that's what's going on in America. So, Houston, we have a problem, okay? It's huge. So this is the limb model from Apollo 13. 
and we know that famous word. But here's the thing you have to understand about meaning in life. The call to meaning in life from God will be a call on you to solve a problem. That's where the responsibility is. It'll be a call for you to confront something, to deal with something, to stop something that's happening, that's evil or wicked or anything like that. So you see that, that this goes in line with why you exist. God created you to have meaning, no doubt about it, but that meaning is derived from a call to confront evil and bring good to the situation, bring holiness to the situation, and bring righteousness to the situation. So when you're trying to figure out what is my call in life, it will be defined by that. What problem are you here to solve? That's what you have to ask yourself. What am I giftings for where they're for solving a problem? Spiritual problem, whatever that might be. Now, here's the problem Abraham is in the midst of. It's a human problem. It is a mass human problem. In fact, the problem encompasses all of humanity at this point in time. So we go a little further back. So we're starting in chapter um, 12, but to understand Abraham, you have to understand chapter 11 in Genesis and what was happening there. The Tower of Babel. Okay, that's was, that was the, the, the mass problem. Now, here's what I want. This is funny. Funny in, 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 a, in a, a, a parallel way, I mean. Nimrod had got a global government going, a global society going, and he was at the top of it. And they were worshiping the religion that was demonically inspired to worship fallen angels and demons or whatnot. So all of humanity was clumped up in a one-world government, one-world leader, one currency, one language to worship anything but God. In fact, Nimrod was so rebellious, the reason he, Josephus says they built the tower so high in his crazy, uh, uh, bizarre mind was that if, there, if God's going to bring another flood, then he will be higher than the flood by his tower. How stupid is that, right? But really, Nimrod was telling people, your enemy is actually God. He destroyed our ancestors in the flood, and we, can't never, we cannot allow him to do that again. So let's build this tower, let's clump up, I'll be your leader, and here we go. That was the problem. Now, the funny thing is that parallels now, because... What Nimrod attempted is being attempted now. They are forming a one-world government. They are forming regional districts, North American region. They are forming a one-world currency. They are bringing everything back under one language. They are. They're doing it now. So what was happening in Abraham's day is happening in our day. Same parallel. Obviously, this is what the Lord did. But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the sons of men had built. And the Lord said, indeed, the people are one, and they have all one language, and this is what they begin to do. Now, nothing that they proposed to do will be withheld from them. So basically, nothing's stopping these people. There's nothing morally in these people to stop them. Let me ask you this. Is there anything stopping Gavin Newsom morally? 
No. Anything stopping Joe Biden giving more tanks to the Ukraine as we fight a proxy war to hide our money that we're laundering and our, our bioweapons lab in the Ukraine? No. There's nothing morally stopping them, right? That's what you're starting to see. Is there anything morally stopping the schools from grooming our kids? No, because they don't have any morals. That's what he is saying. There's nothing that's stopping them anymore. There's nothing inside of them anymore. So they say, um, come, let us go down. And, and this is the Trinity talking. Come, let us go down and confuse their language that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord scattered them abroad uh, from, the, uh, from there over the face of all the earth. And then another addition to this is Deuteronomy 32, 8. When the Most High divided their inheritance to the nations, talking about the Tower of Babel, when he separated the sons of Adam, he set the boundaries of the peoples according to the number of the sons of God. And in essence, what had happened was the, 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 the Tower of Babel was worshiping fallen angels, okay? And they called them gods or whatnot, but that's where it came from. And other than God, right? The Most High, El Elyon. So God, when he confused the languages, what you see in Deuteronomy 32, what he did when he confused the language, he gave each people group that which they worshiped at the Tower of Babel. So they were put under the authority of fallen angels. That's what it means, the sons of God. In your Bible, it's mistranslated. Your Bible says, according to is the sons of Israel or Israel. Well, how do you divide the people in Babylon when Israel doesn't exist? So it's a mistranslation. So what we realized when we looked at the Dead Sea Scrolls, the Dead Sea Scrolls had the proper interpretation, which makes sense, according to the sons of God, the Banacha Elohim, rather than Israel, because Israel doesn't even exist at this point in time. So... He gave these nations over to the very gods they were worshiping, okay? That's why when you saw the people uh, spread out all over the planet, they always built pyramid shapes. Did you notice that? Ziggurat shapes. Well, where did they get that? Because they, the ziggurat, see that? That's a ziggurat. That's what the Tower of Babel would have looked like. It wasn't a tower where it was, it was a small uh, cylinder, a circle-like. It was a ziggurat. Now, if you look at the ziggurat, it's found everywhere. Tibet, China, Japan, it, uh, the Incas and the Mayans and the Aztecs, right? In Mexico, have you ever seen those buildings? They look just like they're from Iraq, right? Because the people group spread and they built these pyramid structures. Go to Egypt, what did they build? Pyramids. So this pyramid structure is all over the planet that these ancient cultures built. Well, anyway, they, they wanted to duplicate the worship practice at Babylon. And what were they worshiping? Fallen angels. So we look at the Mayans and the Aztecs and what they were worshiping. They had these creatures that like, kind of looked like human, but then they're animals. They have animal features on them, right? Same thing with the Egyptians. They were human, but they had animal features. Have you noticed that? There's a pattern here. Now, that pattern is seen when you look at the cherubim that guard the throne of God. What do the cherubim look like? A conglomerate of animals, right? Some cherubim have, you know, and seraphs have human faces, and then they'll have a bull face, and then a lion, and then an eagle, and their bodies will be a mixture of different animal parts. 
So what we understand is cherubim and seraphs don't necessarily look human. They're made up of animal, uh, a conglomerate of different animals. And so when you see the gods that these, these ancient cultures were worshiping, they're just like the cherubim you see in the Bible. They're a mixture of things. Well, that's what the ancients were worshiping. Okay. So what God was in effect saying, fine, you want to worship these creatures, I will put you under their authority, and let's see how they manage you. And what happened was it, those cultures, the ancient cultures, destroyed themselves. The Aztecs and the Mayans and what they did with sacrifice and everything else, it was a, a total destruction. So he had given the nations over. So that's the problem. The nations now are not worshiping God. They're worshiping fallen angels. So God is going to redeem them and solve this problem by creating a new nation. And the man that's going to start it is one individual by the name of Abraham. Right? And so you can see... There's this immense problem that God is going to call back the nations to himself and do it through Abraham. And then obviously Israel. And then obviously the Messiah. And then it goes on into the church. What is our job? What's the great commission? Share the gospel, Share the gospel to who? Oh. All the world. See, we're doing Israel's job right now. Israel's in a timeout right now. But we're doing Israel's job. We're going to the nations. And we're, we're every tribe, language, and tongue. We're doing the work that God initially started back with Abraham. God wants to bless people, and he wants to bless them by inviting them back to a relationship with him. That's how it works. And this has been the call ever since Abraham. Abraham's call is to solve this problem and bring back the nations to God. That's his big call. It is our call as well. And so you can see how God's heart is. He will give people over, but he wants them to come back. Now, the nations were 70 nations at the time. You will see the, the 70 pop up all over Scripture. The, at the Feast of, of uh, uh, Tabernacles, or Sukkot, which is the late fall feast, it's the last feast, that feast symbolizes the, the millennial kingdom and the messianic reign, but it includes the nations. That feast was the only feast that invited the nations to participate, and then there was a sacrifice of guess how many bulls? Seventy. Because it represented the nations being brought back into the kingdom. When Jesus sends out, sends out his disciples, he sends, uh, he'll send 70 out. 70 will pop up. What is that a sign? It's a sign he's reclaiming the nations. Israel failed to do it. Now Messiah is going to do it. Now he's going to do it through the church. And eventually he'll continue with Israel later on, as you know. But it's to regather the nations back to him. He's calling everybody home voluntarily. It's their decision if they're going to come home. So this is the problem. Same problem we have today. People are lost as a ball in high weeds. They don't know if they're coming and going. And our job, part of our call, is to reclaim them back for God. 
That's why we do what we do. Okay, now here's the thing. Um, let's bring it to some contemporary things. We're getting more opposition for doing our jobs and our call than we have ever seen before. Okay? And I think the demonic and the, the fallen angel realm understands this, and that's why the pressure is being put on churches like us and other remnant churches, and you in particular, and you get a lot of pushback. The whole world is being given over to Satan and these fallen angels and demons because that's what people want. So our job is harder and harder. And it's making a big problem for us, spiritually speaking. I mean, I believe persecution's coming. I mean, we could be raptured today and not have to face anything, but the longer God keeps us here, you're going to see persecution. Now, here's the funny thing. We're in Bakersfield, and you think we're as far away from the epicenter of anything, like L.A. or San Francisco, Chicago, Detroit, New York, or anything like that. You don't understand. We're in conservative land here in Bakersfield. And anywhere there's conservative ideas, conservative ideas come from the Bible, and they don't like it. And so the attack is not going to be on Chicago. The attack's not going to be on uh, New York. Those cities are already taken for the devil. They're coming after us. And if you don't wake up and realize this, then you'll miss this. Projects I've ever been involved with. 911, what is your emergency? I'm hearing all kinds of gunshots down the street from my house. I had never known Bakersfield to be a violent place. That changed pretty quickly. I came here looking for something. I knew the homicide rate in Bakersfield was high. I didn't really know what that meant until I got here. I'm not trying to be nobody. People are dead and a BPD officer is in the hospital following an early morning shooting at a Southwest Bakersfield hotel. My son died in a shootout. Walk the streets, Bakersfield. The deadliest law enforcement in the country per capita. The highest rate of officer-involved deaths anywhere in the country. This is where the story takes a very bizarre turn. And as you start unraveling the layers, start to see that there's more than just a couple bad officers. He had collected drugs and then sold for his own That's what I experienced to really understand that there's a problem here. The man is dead. So, not only did Colin Kaepernick desecrate the 49ers, we, and, and it's taken us years to clean out the desecration of his nonsense. Um, and we finally got back to where we have a, a, you know, a, a Christian quarterback, thank God. But, but, why are they targeting Bakersfield? I mean, the deadliest cops in the country. What is this? What is this? What are they doing? Well, it's political, we know that. But understand, um, 
It's the same mantra that Colin Kaepernick and the rest of these ilk do is they attack law enforcement. Okay, they're attacking law enforcement. Uh, yeah, are there good cops and bad cops? Of course, there's good pastors and a lot of bad pastors in every industry. But why, why are they centering on Bakersfield? Well, yeah, it probably has to do with Kevin McCarthy, no doubt about that. That's number one. Um, but again, why attack Bakersfield and say this is the most deadly place to live? Because you have to go after that which threatens you. When you see Bakersfield, if this is an island of, of Christian values, you understand that, uh, in the midst of a crazy uh, state that we're in. And so not only are they targeting Kevin McCarthy, but there's a demonic attack behind it as well when you pick apart a fairly conservative and Christian-valued community and then demonize it. You see what I'm talking about? They made a video on Bakersfield. And then they play that, that honky-tonk music behind like we're a bunch of rednecks and stuff. Well, you don't know if you don't like me. Why did they play Dwight Yoakam's song? Because they want us to say, these are a bunch of hillbillies, these are a bunch of rednecks, and this is what the rednecks think like. They're violent and deadly. You see that? That's all played into the promo. And we got problems. We got now a, 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 an idol to abortion in one of the New York uh, uh, you know, uh, courts. And you look at this thing, it has the horns of Baphomet, and it has the arms of Kali from Hindu. This is the new thing. Look at the statue. Uh, then, you know, we have other statues on, on the court building of you know, Aristotle or Socrates or Plato. And then right in the middle is this Baphomet uh, symbol to celebrate abortion. Do we have a problem in our country? We sure do. Here's another problem. Pfizer guy, this Pfizer guy, uh, Project Veritas, went undercover and, and revealed what this guy was saying. Quote, one of the things we're exploring is like, why don't we just mutate it, the COVID, ourselves, so we can create preemptively develop new vaccines, right? So we have to do that. And if we're going to do that, though, there's a risk of like, as you could imagine, no one wants to have, uh, wants to be having a pharma company mutating viruses. Oh, thank you very much. And then Dr. Robin Malone, who's a great guy, comes out and says this. He says, the Pfizer lawyers did not throw their director of R&D operations scientific planning under the bus. There is no denial of what he said. No denial that, uh, that he is Pfizer staff. Swapping new spike sequences into the original Wuhan 1 is technically gain-of-function research. They just told you, undercover, what they're doing. We'll keep mutating this thing and create other Pfizer vaccines. Do we have a problem? Yeah, we have a problem. How about this? Cardiologists, over 7 million Americans may have some form of heart injury due to COVID-19 vaccines. You know another football player uh, dropped dead this last week? Another one. They don't want to talk about this. And then we have this in Bakersfield. We have a lot of issues going on in Bakersfield. I wonder why. So we have this crazy teacher, non-binary teacher, whatever you want to call them, confused, Romans 1, uh, teaching at, um, in our Kern, Kern uh, High School District at Del Oro High School. She's a freshman teacher. And she's going there and uh, telling the kids without parents knowing about how to transition and 
how to be you know, transsexual like she is. And nothing's happening to this girl. Nothing. School district's allowing it. School district has policies that they can do a, a request for a name change in a gender marker form. That's what our current high school is doing now to kids. Think, about, think twice about sending them to this, these den of thieves in the current high school district. Think about it again if they're letting this happen. Furthermore, the, the World Economic Forum, I showed you this a little bit on Wednesday, is trying to plan to be able to read your thoughts with things like a Fitbit watch or, or, or earphones or anyone, uh, anything like device like that that can read your thoughts. It can read sh simple shapes, numbers, your pin number. I mean, this is insane. What you think and what you feel is just data. And we're going to use it against you, basically. Surveillance of the human brain has a dystopian possibility of being used to exploit and bring the surface of our most secret life, ourself. Yeah, that's right. So you wear one of their watches, or you put, they want truck drivers to wear these, these hats that can sense brain activity. And they said, this is for the betterment of employers and the employees, because you know we don't want accidents and stuff. So we can read what they're thinking about if they're concentrating on their work or they're concentrating on something else. It's coming, and they want to employ it. The most critical fragmentation is between those with a constructive spirit of Davos and those who criticize it. Well, that would include me. So he says, if you criticize us, you're the problem. So we have a problem, obviously, the same problem that you see with Abraham, right? That's what I wanted to show you, the parallel. We've got major spiritual problems. So here's what happens. God puts out the search, and he always does this. Is there anyone who will accept the challenge to stand against this? You see what I'm saying? That's the call that comes to all of us. Will you step up against the World Economic Forum? Will you step up against the current high school district? Will you step up against abortion? And them putting idols of abortion on our public properties? Will you stand up against that? That's all that God's asking. Who will go for me? That's what he always asks, right? And it's going to center on Abraham, right? But what it gets down to is, here's the thing. Why is there so much inactivity? Because people won't take up the call. They just won't. And what the Bible's theme is showing you is that It'll be so desperate, no one will do anything about the situation. There's no one stepping up. Everyone's letting everything go to Hades in a handbasket. And it goes on and on and on and on. And then all of a sudden, one pops up. So like with Israel being enslaved by Egypt. Why did it go on so long, their enslavement? You know what the rabbis say? And I agree with them on this. Because no one would step up to Pharaoh. No one would confront him until Moses. And they say that the reason the slavery took so long in Egypt is because they had to wait until someone was willing to take a stand. And it finally came to Moses. And Moses was the right guy to stand up and say, I'm done. I'm done with this. Enslaving the Israelites, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to deal with it. And he started dealing with it, maybe in the wrong way, but he started dealing with it. And then he had to learn 40 years 
how to go about it the proper way, right? But here's what you got to see. You've got to see that even when he killed the Egyptian for beating a Jewish a man, that Moses, he stepped out of place with God, he stepped out of timing with God, but it's Moses' heart that you see. Moses hated injustice. You will see this in his entire life. He goes to the well, and who's being abused? The girls are at the well by these crazy shepherds. And what does Moses do? He steps up and stops it. And you will see Moses constantly have this sense of I'm not going to let the injustice happen around me. I don't care if anyone stands with me, I will. That's the mentality. That's the mentality of Abraham. And so nobody, nobody in the entire world is worshiping God. And so at, this, at some point, the call will be to you specifically, stand up, do something. Don't sit back and let this happen. We have a problem, don't we? So when you see the problem, the call is to confront it and to do something about it, just like David did with Goliath. So here's the call. This is where you find meaning. God's call on us is an invitation to serve him by assisting him in solving a spiritual problem by serving others. That's it. That's the definition of the call. It's not a call to, to, to do you, you do your own thing. It's a call to assist God. Now, he doesn't, have, he doesn't need us, understand that, but he invites us to assist him. Do you want to have value of your life? Do you want your life to count? Do you want to have meaning? Then join God and assist him in solving the spiritual problem. And you will do it through serving others. That's how, it, that's how it's formed. That's how it's formed. If you stand up against abortion, who are you serving? Who are you serving if you stand up against abortion? You're, you're assisting God, but who are you helping horizontally? The babies. You understand? So you, when you follow the call of God, you assist them, but you're always going to be serving those who need protection. The babies. That's how it works. Now, here's the preliminary that I want you to see the background. This is in chapter 11 on the heels of the, 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 the Tower of Babel. And it goes to his genealogy. And I want you to pay particular attention to the genealogy and the names because it's telling you something about Abraham's family. Follow this. This is the genealogy of Terah. Terah begot Abraham, Nahor, and Haran. So you can see on there that uh, you go from Adam and you go to the Seth line, the Noah, then you go through the Shem line and you get to the bottom where Terah is, right? So Terah has three boys, Abraham, Nahor, and Haran. Okay? So you can follow that. And Haran died before his father Terah in his native land in Ur of the Chaldees. Okay? That's actually Lot's daddy. Okay? What you will see about Abraham as we go through this is one of the reasons God is calling Abraham is Abraham always takes care of his family. Because he will adopt Lot and assume the authority over Lot to help Lot, his nephew. He will not leave him fatherless. So Lot's fatherless at this point in time. So Abraham is always taking care of Lot because, because that's how 
family-oriented he is. And if you're going to start a new nation, do you start it with somebody that's not family-oriented or is family-oriented? Right. He's going to start a major family, Israel. And so you need first in the character of the individual that this individual cares about his family. And that's where it's, you can see the relationship with Lot. Okay. And Haran died before his father Terah in the native land in Ur of the Chaldeans. Then Abram and Nahor took wives. And the name of Abram's wife was Sarai. Okay. Now here's a clue. Her name in the ancient world is Sharate. Sharate. Which means king, queen. And it's, it's an Akkadian translation of the Sumerian name of Ningal, the wife of the moon god Sin. So she's named after the wife of the moon god Sin. Okay? What does that tell you about the family? See what I'm saying? Continue to follow. And the name of Nahor's wife is Milka. Milka is really uh, Malkatu which is the title for Ishtar, the daughter of the moon god Sin. And the daughter of Haran, and the father of Milcah, and the father of Isaiah. Incidentally, Laban, remember Laban later on? Remember where, where, where Jacob gets Rachel and Leah? Laban is the grandson of Nahor, the brother of Rebekah, who is the father of Leah and Rachel, who Jacob married. His name means white. Laban means white. But what, what is it in reference to? The full moon. The moon god, Sin. Now, what did you just see in the genealogy in Abraham's family? And what is the problem in the family? They're idol worshipers. They worship the moon god, Sin. Oh, by the way. When Muhammad decided to pick out the one god of the 365 gods in Saudi Arabia that he was going to worship and do monotheism with, guess what God he chose? He's the moon god. And what is the sign, what is the symbol of Islam? Got it? The moon god. Crescent moon. Who is this sin? Who is the moon god? You want to know who the moon god is? It's Satan. Okay? What is it telling you about his family? He's got a problem in the family. He's got a major problem. There are a bunch of idolaters that worship Satan. There are a bunch of people that are just nothing but pagan. They don't worship Yahweh. They don't have any clue. They, they worship the God they were given over to at the Tower of Babel. And in this case, it was the moon god Sin. Oh, we got a problem. Yeah, we got a problem. Look what Joshua said about this. And Joshua said to all the people, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, Your fathers, including Terah, the father of Abraham and the father of Nahor, dwelt on the other side of the river in old times. And look what it said. And they served other gods. Oh, thank you. We got a major problem now. So here's what we have to understand. To answer God's call on your life, to do what he wants you to do, 
many of us, we're going to have to separate from loved ones and friends that are on a different path spiritually. You will have to separate. And that's why the call of Abraham is so difficult because he's going to have to sacrifice and leave his family because they're nothing but a bunch of idolaters. And that's the same thing to you. At some point in time, that call is going to require you separation. And, and, and you understand it's going to it cut right to the heart, even to your family. Jesus even said it to us. Father will be against his son-in-law, uh, a mother against her daughter-in-law. Because I have not come to bring peace, but I bring a sword. So truth separates family. In order to do your call properly, you will have to separate. You just will. And you will have to go at it alone. Just you and God. You can't take them with you. When God commands him to leave, he says, you need to separate from your family, your father, everybody. Get away from them. Why? Because Abraham needs to understand, if you're on this spiritual pilgrimage, this journey, they will become a stumbling block to you in achieving the goal that God has for you. They will be a weight. They will hold you back. Yes, is it true that family members hold people back? Of course, they do it all the time. It's the most common thing you see in families. They do not want one of their own getting out ahead of them and making them all look bad. So families actually resent most people who are doing the will of God because it makes them look so bad. They resent you when you go to church. They resent you when you go to Bible study. They resent you when you go on a mission trip or when you do something for the community, uh, like uh, fighting against abortion or something like that. They resent that because it makes them look bad. And so family, families will tend to pull you back. Don't think you're better than us, Brandon. You're not better than us. Why are you a holy roller? What are you? What are you, self-righteous? What do you think you're better than us? Family members will do that. And that's why he has to separate. But here's the problem. But Sarai was barren. She had no child. Oh. What is that introducing to us? It's introducing to you and us is that already there's a tragedy in Abraham's life and Sarah's life. What's the tragedy? To be barren in that kind of world, it was the ultimate ultimate tragedy because when you had kids the kids are the ones that are going to take care of you when you're older the, the kids are the ones that take your inheritance they've got no one no one to do that for them so this is kind of their social security in that world you survive by your kids okay that's it your kids were everything and so they, they don't have any and so we have a tragedy now happening but yet God's going to call them, even though they have a tragedy. And you, most people will say, well, don't call them, man. They're not fit to go out because they're all messed up at home. Uh-uh. I need them. I need them. And the tragedy is actually going to work to their benefit because there's a thorn in the side. So in the call of God, you have to accept the thorn that's in your side right now. You say, well, I can't do it unless he relieves me of this thorn. Yes, you can. 
My grace is sufficient. Remember he said that to Paul when Paul asked for the thorn to be removed? He's going to say, I need you to do this. And you're going to say, I have this problem, I have that problem, and I have that problem. I can't do it until these problems are solved. And he says, no, no, you will do it with your own problems. So let's go. Let's move. And the issue then becomes, if you follow the call, even with that thorn, then options and events and situations and certain things and miracles might become possible if you will move forward. And what's the, what's the miracle that happens because they can't have a baby? They finally do. But I'm telling you, that miracle would not have happened had they stayed in their place and said, no, we can't do it. We can't even have kids. And so we're just going to stay here and sulk and be bitter and be angry about our situation. See, what you have to understand about the call the call will ask you to do something that seems impossible, okay? And you're like, I, how's this going to happen? But here's what you don't know. If you will step out into the call and do it, the possibilities are innumerable that God can do. But he won't show you them unless you step out. He never told them, look, follow me, and I'll give you a baby. Don't worry about that. He didn't do that. He just says, will you step out with your thorn? Oh, that's how it works. Yeah, that's how it works. But here's the thing. That very thorn you're carrying might be eliminated if you just step out. But he's not going to tell you that. You have to step out and do it with your thorn. That's hard. You have to understand this promise. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God. And notice the last phrase. To those who are called according to his purpose. You know what? There's two things in there, and I've showed you this before. you got to love God first. Which, what, what does it mean? Abraham made the, had to make Yahweh the priority in his life. That's what loving God is. I have no other priorities other than him, and everything's second or third and fourth under him. That's what the idea of loving God is. So that's the first caveat. You've got to make him the priority. Second, to those who are called according to his purpose. The believer must be on target with the call. They must be walking with the Lord in their call. And then, and then the promise can come true that all things work together for good. Because if you are misprioritizing God and you're not walking according to what he's called you to do, then it, that promise is invalid to you. You have to be doing these two things in order for all things to work together for good. And how did it work together for good for Abraham and Sarah? They had a baby, miraculously, in their old age, right? I mean, that was a possibility. Here's the thing. You don't know what the possibilities are for you that God can do through you unless you step out. But the longer you stay where you're at... And you're afraid to move forward, to confront the evil in our world, to do something for God that he's called you to do, to use your skills and talents, you'll never know. You'll be like the guy who buried his talent because he was afraid. And what Abraham is called, as you can see, is you're going to be called and you're going to have to sacrifice. You're going to have to sacrifice not knowing anything. You know, Abraham doesn't even know where he's going. 
The first call is just go. Go. Get up. Do something. Confront the problems that you see. Deal with the issues. Fix the messes. That's it. And if you will do that, you will actually find that your life means something. And that, you're, that this is truly what you were equipped to do and called to do. And if you haven't found that out, you're missing out on so much. If you follow the call, you will see miracle after miracle after miracle. If you will do that. I pray today you will answer the call and go. Let's pray. Father, thank you, Lord, for what we can learn today about Abraham, the initial calling of him, his family, the separation that needs to happen. Father, we see ourselves in this story. You've called each one in this room to do a particular thing. Help us, Father, to see what that call is and to to do it, to get out, and step out, even though we're going into the unknown. We don't know what's going to happen to us. We don't know where you're leading us, but it's, we, as long as it's with you, it's okay. Help us to have that courage, get past that fear to answer your call. And I pray, Father, if you're calling anyone here today in salvation, that you would do so. They were, their hearts would respond to you in need of salvation. They would understand that Jesus died on a cross for their sins and offers forgiveness was buried and resurrected and offers eternal life to anyone who believes. We pray now in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for joining us for another lesson. We hope that this message is a blessing for you and helps you grow towards a more mature understanding of God's Word. For more information about our ministry, we invite you to check out our website at rockharborchurch.net. Until next time, remember, keep looking up for our redemption draws near.